This week's sponsor is Untraffic. So, I fucked up for the first time in quite a while, and I didn't click record as soon as we started talking, so I can capture all the crap that we say. It's only been like 10 minutes, though. Five minutes. Yeah. So we've discovered that Emma's got a cup of tea with her today. Um, we both have the world's worst handwriting. There's something in Emma's story about Amtrak, um, which is the train system in America. I said I'm a full-on nerd for Amtrak. I think what you said is you have an Amtrak boner. I have a big Amtrak boner. Uh, me and Amtrak hype each other up on Instagram quite often. Um, and then they're sponsoring us. So welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> one day we'll get a sponsor, a real life one. Until then, Amtrak. <laughs> Imagine. But yeah. Hola. Bonjour. Hola. Hey, hey. Hello. Um, Aloha. That's the Hawaiian. Aloha. We got five. Guten Tag. I love that one. Guten Tag. That, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, Guten that's tag. a nice one. Guten Tag. Good day. Excellent. So we've invited the world in. Everyone can understand us. This is it happening right. everywhere. Yeah. So. I'm taking us this week. Oh, she's going to start. Okay, go for it. I'm taking us to Charlottesville, Virginia. I don't know if I said that. Did I say that? No, you just said I'm taking you and then stopped and went into just a zone of nothingness. Oh, I was reading my book. <laughs> My written book, not, not just, just a random novel book. in between. Okay, Virginia, nice. I don't think this particularly was, but we'll, we'll run with nice part of the country. Um, Deshard Lequin Smith was born on the 13th of December 1992. Oh, Deshard oh. was brought up by his grandmother, Miss Cookie. Oh, that's literally her last name. No, that's just what she went by. Her real name was... Oh, I've just got Miss Cookie. So we're going with Miss Cookie. So, yeah, he was brought up by his grandmother, Miss Cookie, from the age of three in Charlottesville, Virginia. From a very young age, the Shard's family knew he was gay. It was just, like, something that they always knew. Um... When he used to try and play out in the neighbourhood with the kids, he was picked on all by all the local kids. And one time he tried to fit in and play football. And other kids in the game threw around insults and even urinated on his jersey. Oh, dirty kids. So his family like were just devastated. They couldn't understand why people or how people could be so mean just because he was a little different. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he's a kid. Okay. Yeah. Assholes. Yes. At the age of 12, Deshard came out to Miss Cookie, who responded, you ain't telling me anything I didn't already know. We like Miss Cookie. She's adorable. I watched the documentary and she's just the most adorable. So on November the 9th, 2012, age of 19, Deshard changed his profile gender. Words escape me. Deshard changed his profile. Oh, for fuck's sake. Deshard changed his gender on Facebook to female. <coughs> that works. That's a better sentence than the shit show I've written. Okay. Um, asking family, friends and teachers to use female pronouns. So from now on in the story, I will use Deshard's transgender name, Sage Smith. I've read conflicting reports. So some say it was like in 
2012, so when he, she was 19, she announced it. But then I've read some reports that it was like around the, t- the age of 12 when she came out, she was telling people that she wanted to be a she. Mm. But either way, on November 9th, um, the Deshard Sage came out on Facebook and posted pretty much her status that said something along the lines of, I'm a girl now, deal with it. Cool. Um, posted to a family member, I am now your niece. Mm-hmm. So, I am proud. Yeah. Um, so, some family members described Sage as gender fluid. So sometimes she would wear a dress, wig and makeup, and other times she would appear very masculine in a full suit. Hmm. Okay. And they, des- they described Sage as a colourful person who loved attention, would talk to anyone and had an infectious charisma, and she loved to dance. I just oh. read had an infection charisma, and I thought that's an infection I'd quite like. <laughs> Bit of charisma, get infected with some charisma. <laughs> they made the world a good. Yeah. Anyway. So Sage's parents separated shortly after she was born, but her father lived nearby and Sage saw him regularly. Regularly? Yeah. I like that. Regularly. Um, So when Sage told Dean, the father, that she was gay and transgender, Dean responded with, stay away from me and don't call my phone. (sighs) What? I Dean admits to saying lots of hurtful things to Sage and this affected the both of them. And it wasn't until Sage's brother addressed their father and said, you always told us, no matter what, to always be happy within ourselves first. So why are you doing this to my brother? Yeah. Um, so this was a wake-up call to Dean who had met and who then met with Sage the next day and apologised. Saying, Sage explained how she felt in her life and what had led her to these realisations and things became clearer to Dean and moving forward from there, they began to sort of build bridges and go on to have quite a healthy and strong relationship. Okay, good, good. Happy ending. The end. Hooray! <laughs> um, so uh, Sage had a very close friend in Shakira Washington. They were friends from a young age when Sage moved to Shakira's area. So basically, from what I read, Sage and Miss Cookie lived in this sort of high-rise block of flats type thing. Mm. Lived in some sort of apartment building. But then local council government type people put up loads of like big steel fences around the building and it made them sort of feel a bit like imprisoned. Okay. An outcast. So Sage and Miss Cookie moved house. And they moved to a street where Shakira lived, Shakira mm-hmm. Washington. Um, Sage and Shakira had a disagreement in the street when they first met, and their families were both called in to help settle the situation. And from then on, a firm friendship formed. They were friends throughout high school and helped each other through the difficult period of transitioning. So from what I can take, Shakira is transgender too. Right. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's what I've never saying. actually outright read a sentence that said Shakira was or is transgender. Yeah. But from everything that I see and as the story goes on, it's sort of I'm getting that. Yeah, yeah. Um so when Sage graduated high school, she moved out of her family home in March 2012 aged 19 and she shared her apartment with her friend Shakira and another transgender girl Aubrey Carson after high school 
Sage went to college to study cosmetology and hoped to become a hairdresser after graduation. She was always practicing hairdos and hair dressing on her housemates. Um, on the 20th of November 2012, so this is what? Two weeks after she came out on Facebook, Sage was getting ready for a date in her apartment. Um, her one roommate, Shakira, so that's her really close friend, was out of time for Thanksgiving. And her other roommate, Aubrey, was napping on the couch. At around 5.40, Sage wakes Aubrey to let her know she's leaving for a day, but we'll be back later in the evening. Mm-hmm. Aubrey woke up again around 8pm and called Sage, but her cell phone went to voicemail. Aubrey thought it was strange, but went back to sleep. And then when she woke up the next morning, Sage still hadn't returned. She continued to try and reach Sage's cell phone, but it continued to go to voicemail. And this struck her as very strange as Sage's cell phone was always glued to her hand and she was known for carrying her phone charger with her everywhere she went. Aubrey called Sage's friends and family and Sage's stepsister, Kiara Morgan. Kiara. Kiara Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Roll with it. Um, said she had seen Sage on Main Street the night before. <clears throat> um, Sage had been on a call to someone and told the person on the phone that she'd be with them in five minutes. Kiara didn't know who Sage was on the phone to or what her plans were, but this was around sort of 6.30 that evening. Um, Aubrey called Miss Cookie, and then I put dash grandma, who said she... <laughs> Who said she hadn't seen Sage and told her to call the police. A missing persons investigation began the very next day. Police interviewed Sage's family and friends and took statements, but nothing stood out. Sage's parents hid the news from her sisters at first. Uh, She was supposed to be coming home for Thanksgiving, but this was meant to be a surprise for the sisters. Yeah. But they were upset to discover the news about Sage being missing on Facebook. What a place to find out. Preach it. Um, Facebook's a wonderful thing in this story. It comes up a lot. Her sisters reported feeling confused as they thought things like that only ever happened on TV. That that really got me in the in the you know empty cavity in my chest. <laughs> it really got me that did I was like, that's so sad. Um, when Sage had been missing 48 hours, investigators feared the worst. When a transgender person goes missing, it was quite probable that this could be the result of a hate crime. Mm-hmm. So was Sage targeted by someone because she was transgender? Detectives do a grid search of the area around Main Street where Sage was last seen. There was an Amtrak station. Yes. There's also, as I've written, a bus station. <laughs> I can't <give> <laughs> I'm going to have my drunk. There was an Amtrak station, a bus station, and a general heavy footfall in the area. It was completely strange for a person to disappear off the face of the earth from one of the busiest streets in the community. They canvassed nearby businesses for CCTV to see if anyone had footage of Sage's movements, but only two local businesses in a 10-block radius had CCTV. That blew my mind. Like, it's 2012, that's not even that long ago. It's not, but I think it's, it's probably like a small town thing, isn't it? Everyone yeah. knows everyone, no one needs security cameras because everyone knows who's going to have done something. <laughs> sort of thing. Um, 
but neither of these two local businesses, their CCTV, have captured anything. Um, detectives scoured downtown for clues but came up with nothing. Um, so they began to work on a timeline of Sage's last known movements. They knew she had been seen on Main Street around 6.30 and that she was on the phone. So they subpoena her phone records. I really enjoy that word, subpoena. Subpoena? Yeah. I've never heard that word before. Have you not? Yeah. Um, it's like just like a court order. Oh, okay. So they're basically just like... Oh, okay. Yeah, you put it in that saying, in sentence. When you put it in a yeah. sentence, I understand what you're talking about. Um, but this could take days. Not wanting to waste any time, Sage's family begin their own investigation. They, oh, I'm, I know I've got a d- 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 coming up that I'm expecting you to do, and I can't. I'm trying to sort of like prompt you, and I can't think where it is. Um, they it's work together and manage. Naturally. It's got to come naturally. A dum dum dum. I can't plan a dum dum dum. They work together and manage to get Sage's password to a cell phone account. <laughs> From there, they managed to find the last communication she had before she went missing. This phone number was unfamiliar to everyone in the family. They called the number numerous times, but each time heard the same message. Person cannot receive calls at this time. In an act of what I can only imagine was sheer desperation, Sage's father, Dean, posted the phone number on his Facebook page saying, if anyone knows this number... This is the last person to see my son. Message me. Right. I don't think her family are being disrespectful to Sage when they're calling her him or son. I think it's just because it was so new to them to get their head round. Yeah. They just, sometimes they didn't. I just thought I'd throw that in there because I don't want people thinking that they're dicks when they're not. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'll get that. <laughs> no slander this way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, within hours, Dean got a response. Yami Ortiz, another of Sage's transgender friends, sent Dean a message on Facebook stating that the phone number belonged to 21-year-old 20, Eric McFadden. Yami also told Dean that Eric and Sage had recently been dating, but Eric didn't appear to be as out and proud as Sage was. No one knew of his sexuality. Not even his girlfriend. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Dean gets a photo of Eric McFadden from Yami and posts this to his Facebook page saying, if anybody knows who this guy is or his whereabouts, please contact me. But Dean doesn't share any of this information with the police. He knows the manner in which they accessed Sage's phone records were illegal and he doesn't want the police to shut down his investigation. But police were about to learn Eric's name for a very different reason. Two days after, two days later, two days later, Esther... (laughs) Two days later, a 20-year-old student of the University of Virginia called Esther contacted Charlottesville police for a welfare check on her boyfriend, Eric McFadden. She hadn't been able to reach him all day and his phone was going straight to voicemail. She was at a time of Thanksgiving and was worried Eric may be incapacitated at her apartment. I like that word as well. That's incapacitated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point in time, Esther knows nothing about Dean's Facebook posts and neither do the police. Um, police send a 
officers to Esther's apartment, but there was no one home. Later that day, after a visit from the army Ortiz, police became aware that the disappearances of these two individuals could well be linked. Yami tells police her knowledge of McFadden, her knowledge of his affair with Sage, and all about Sage's father's Facebook posts linking the two disappearances. When police became aware of the link, they made the information public and posters of both Eric and Sage were put up all over town. Um, at this point, Eric's girlfriend Esther still hasn't heard from him and he hasn't shown up at work for three days. And then I've written, it appeared he was running and this looked very suspicious. But then I remember watching watching the documentary and reading this case, and I was like, everyone just jumps to Eric's done something to Sage. Yeah. But in my mind, at the start, it, it's very much like, how do they not know that Eric's Sage just not missing? How do they not know that something's not happened to the both of them and they're both missing? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the finger of blame is pointed very early on, and I couldn't get my head around that, but either way. So Esther gives detectives permission to enter and search her apartment. Detectives search the apartment for evidence that Sage had been there, but the only thing of any interest is a CVS receipt dated the 22nd of November. So this is two days after Sage's disappearance. No evidence was found in relation to the case, but police seized McFadden's computer from the apartment. Uh, going off nothing but the CVS receipt, police look at security footage from around the time of the receipt, and it confirms to them that Eric McFadden had not left town until at least the 22nd of November because he was in the CVS store yeah. at the time. Like it, it was his receipt. So had he left because of the Facebook posts... Or was it something more similar? So some people theorise that Eric left town because he'd been publicly outed, especially with the wording of Dean's Facebook post, like, this person was last last known person to speak to my son. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, as you said, the finger's already been pointed at him and everyone's already going to assume that Eric's done something. But also the fact that until that point, nobody knew that Eric was gay. Right, yeah, and that. So detectives questioned Sage's roommate, Shakira and Aubrey, about their knowledge of McFadden. Shakira didn't know anything about him, and Aubrey said she'd met him once on Main Street with Sage, but it was only a very brief encounter. Police finally get access to Sage's cell phone records, which confirm what they already knew. McFadden was the last person to contact Sage on her cell phone at 6.36pm, and this was the phone call Sage's stepsister had overheard. Mm -hmm. Detectives could also see that McFadden had sent Sage several text messages before that final phone call. Where are you? I'm here. I'm waiting five more minutes, then I'm leaving. Bye, you stood me up. By the look of the text, Sage and McFadden hadn't met up. But to be able to clear him of anything, detectives needed to speak to him. But they are still unable to find him and unable to contact him. Tuesday, 27th of November, so this is seven days following Sage's disappearance, Eric McFadden contacted the police. They questioned his whereabouts, but he denied having anything to do with Sage's disappearance. 
He told police he was in New York City and when questioned why, he simply replied because it was somewhere he always wanted to go. <laughs> My writing gets lazy after this. Police are suspicious. Bit of a shit reason to skip town and ignore everyone. <laughs> but they still want to know about his connection to Sage. McFadden confirms he and Sage did have plans to meet up that day, but Sage never showed up. He agrees to return to Charlottesville to clear his name. He gives officers information about his, like, what bus is catching and his estimated time of arrival. But, I mean, big surprise, he never shows up. So his unpredictable behaviour is making him seem even more suspicious. If he's got nothing to hide, why is he avoiding the situation? Yeah. Do you know what he is? What? Sus. Sus. Three days later, suspicions grow when McFadden's girlfriend, Esther, visits police after receiving an email from him describing the night Sage had gone missing. And the story he told Esther was a completely different one to the story he told police. Of course. I just don't understand people, to be honest. No, I don't get why people have to lie. It's like, obviously, the police are going to find out you've told two different goddamn stories. But if, you, if you're going to lie, it's all the same story. Don't go off on your two yeah. little tangents. Yeah, Stick to the one. Yeah, exactly. Easy to keep your tracks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so in his email, McFadden told Esther that he had met, he had met Sage that night and they were walking together when other people showed up. He said that Sage had many enemies, so he just walked off and left. And that was the last he knew of the situation. Um, but this this did suggest that McFadden was scared of whoever it was that had shown up that night. Then we're going back to the 1990s in my little paper book. Um, McFadden also says that Sage had been blackmailing him. Um, Esther didn't know that McFadden was gay, nor did anyone in the community, any of his friends or family, and McFadden was using this against him to get things that she wanted. And he said that she had a history of doing this with men, men who were taken, men who were deeply, deeply, deeply in the closet. Yeah. And she had a history of blackmailing them. That's what uh, McFadden said. Right. Um, but uh, so detectives want to look into the people that McFadden claims they saw that note and look into the accusation that Sage had lots of enemies combined with the blackmail because um, it kind of gives potential motive. Yeah. Um, but as McFadden's story to Esther vastly differs to the story he told the police, they were left with even more questions than they had in the first place. So was any of it even true? All they knew to be true that was was that Sage was missing and McFadden had left town. Um, following his inconsistent stories, he becomes top of police's suspect list. They obtained warrants for his computer, email account, social media and bank records to look for evidence, but none is found. Detectives continue to hunt for clues. Um, like at the same time, Sage's family also begin their own searches. Um, based on what McFadden had said, they focus their searches around the Amtrak station. I seem to have missed off all of my notes here that McFadden had told police that he had arranged to meet Sage outside the Amtrak station. Right, okay. 
like that was their agreed meeting point. So the, the family sort of based their searches around there. They searched the entire trap, the woods surrounding and nuts doors and put up posters with with groups of up to 75 people searching for sage but they found no clues police looked into accusation into the accusation made by mcfadden that sage had lots of enemies when questioned shakira his roommate could only think well could think of one enemy that sage had so the night before she went missing she was involved in an altercation i like that word too yeah. Um, so she was involved in an altercation with a man called Jamal Smith. So, again, there's reports that it was they'd been on a night and then returned back to the apartment. And there was reports that they just were having a party at the apartment. It was Shakira's birthday. So they were, they'd either been out and celebrated and brought the party back or they were just having a party at the apartment. Yeah. And this disgruntled woman broke in, well, look, forced away into the house to confront one of Sage's friends over cheating with a partner. Um, and, like, as these things go, like, a big rouse happened, things spilled out onto the street, and there was just people standing around watching. Yeah. And there was a car full of people parked in the driveway. Right. Um, this car belonged to Jamal Smith. And Sage told him that he needed to remove his car from her property. Things got heated and Jamal accused Sage of damaging his car. Um, So Shakira told detectives that the incident made her uneasy but didn't think that he had anything to do with Sage's disappearance. Um, It was also reported in Some But Not Everywhere that after this little altercation with Jamal, um... Shakira and Sage had a bit of a tiff because Sage accused Shakira of not having a back and was saying, we're friends, you should always have my back and all this. Yeah. But how true that is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But either way, police questioned Jamal Smith but quickly were able to rule him out. I don't know what on, on what grounds, but it wasn't him. They yeah. were. So. It wasn't um, they began to look into Sage's emails and social media accounts and began, begin to learn about Sage's dating past and explain how Sage could potentially be at risk. So most of them, most of the men that Sage were dating were not publicly out and did not want people to know about the alternative lifestyle they were living. Uh-huh. Um, months before she disappeared, one of Sage's secret relationships were outed when the girlfriend of one of the men Sage had been seen found emails between them. The man blamed Sage for his girlfriend discovering the relationship. So um, he was very aggressive towards Sage after this had happened. And one evening she was walking home and she was attacked by this man. Charges were made against this man in particular. But when police look into this man. To do with the disappearance, he has an ironclad alibi. Ironclad alibi? Literally, he was in prison. He was clad in iron. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So he couldn't possibly have done done anything. He couldn't have anything to do with it. He was behind. He was clad in iron. (laughs) (laughs) The 3rd of December, so two weeks after her disappearance, police get a hit on one of Sage's credit cards. Oh, interesting. 
But when CCTV was checked at the store where her card had been used, it was discovered that Aubrey, her roommate, is the one that had used Sage's card. Police question Aubrey and she tells police that she took the card from the apartment to buy food and apparently this is just what they had always done. Like, Sage's card was just always there and it was just what they did. Police are suspicious and despite being able to confirm Aubrey's alibi, despite being able to confirm Aubrey's... Oh, my God. Wow. The police are suspicious, and despite the fact that they can't confirm Aubrey's alibi because she was home alone the night that Sage disappeared, there's no evidence that she was involved either. Yeah. And two months passed. In February 2013, a new eyewitness account comes to the attention of police from the night that Sage disappeared. Monica Williams knew Sage for several years. Um, she said she saw and spoke to Sage that night at Wild Wings Cafe. Does that not sound like a place that we would go? Like, it I was just thinking, there. I was like, I would love to go there right now. On Main Street at 7pm. So Sage was alone at the bar, but told Monica she was waiting for someone. But she didn't tell Monica who she was meeting. And from what I can tell, Monica was just like sort of gone in, got a takeout. So she got her stuff, left the restaurant and left Sage at the bar alone. Mm-hmm. Following this report, police are able to build on their timeline of Sage's last name movements. So at 6.27, Eric McFadden had texted Sage saying, I am leaving, you stood me up. At 6.36pm, Kiera Morgan saw and spoke to Sage on Main Street while she was on the phone to Eric. And then at 7pm, Monica then stated she had seen Sage at the Wildwind Cafe. And the Wildwind Cafe was also, it shared a building, so it was like attached, attached, I'm, I'm trying to think of a word that doesn't exist, it was attached to the Amtrak station, so it was, the buildings were the same, like. Yeah, yeah there's like a attached. door going in between both of them pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Amtrak station is where Eric had said, him and Sage were meeting. Police think that possibly Sage had met Eric McFadden in the half an hour between Kiara Cena on Main Street and Monica Cena in the Wild Wings Cafe. Monica, it, it said in the documentary that Monica's sightings could clear McFadden. I'm not too sure how that could clear him, to be honest, but that's what it said in there. Um, police speak to the staff at the Wildwind Cafe regarding Monica's report and they say that they remembered there being several transgender individuals in the restaurant that night but couldn't confirm that it had seen Sage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, police requested security footage from that night but obviously none existed because why would it? Cameras, yeah. Months pass. In September 2014, another team disappeared from Charlottesville. University of Virginia student Hannah Graham disappeared. Thousands of people showed up to offer help search for Hannah, and within 36 days, her body is found. So Sage's family sympathised with Hannah's family as they were also experienced something no family should ever experience. But they were also slightly hurt. The help the community offered them in the disappearance of Sage 
was nowhere near the support that Hannah's family received. So it's got down here that Sage was technically male, although she was transgender, she still had. Yeah. Sage was male, black, gay, and transgender. Is this why people didn't rally around a sage like they did for white, female, straight Hannah Graham? Um, why did people show up in their thousands for Hannah, yet their handfuls for sage? Neither case should have been treated any different by society. And there's a, there's a clip in the documentary of Miss Cookie, and she's like, what makes one life more important than another? And I could have stopped it's true. Yeah, I just wanted to say it is very true. Like, I'm not. I'm not saying that Hannah should have had any less attention. No, I no, think no, she. It, it's right, but Sage should have had the same amount of attention. Definitely. So, in November 2015, three years after Sage's disappearance, police announced that they no longer consider Eric McFadden a suspect in Sage's disappearance. Despite his story always changing and his lack of cooperation, his digital footprint on the night in question does not correlate. And I wrote "colorate," and I was like, that doesn't look right. And it took me ages to work out what the actual word was. <laughs> so it didn't correlate. Correlate, yes. With that of a person involved with criminal activity, according to his digital usage, he wouldn't have had time to do anything drastically criminal like murder and dispose of a body. <laughs> he couldn't drive. He didn't own a car. He lived in an apartment that didn't belong to him in a heavily populated area. It was unlikely to be possible for him to carry out any crimes such as murder or kidnapping. It's because of like the times that he's been documented to be has been like, logged on to his. Stuff. Two months later, in January 2016, police get a call from, I don't know why I do this to myself. I can never just have Birmingham Channel. <laughs> <laughs> police get a call from Chincoteague, Chincoteague, Virginia. We're going with Chincoteague. Chincoteague. I like it. Confident. <laughs> um, which is 300 miles away from Charlottesville. <clears throat> There had been a sighting of Sage. When police followed up the sighting, it turned out to be a really odd situation. Well, it wasn't actually Sage, but it was Shakira Washington, Sage's childhood friend and roommate, from when she went missing. Right. So police decided to question Shakira again about the night Sage went missing, and Shakira tells detectives that she feels that Aubrey knows more than she's letting on. I think it's just a massive coincidence that someone reported the sighting to have been saved, but it, it was actually Shakira. I don't think yeah. it was anything. That's just a huge ass coincidence, but... It was a coinkydink. It was a coinkydink. Um, she also reported feeling uncomfortable when Aubrey started using Sage's credit card and other belongings shortly after Sage disappeared, such as wearing Sage's wigs. Why was she doing this unless she knew that Sage wasn't coming back? When police spoke to Kiara Morgan, the stepsister, it, she told police that Sage and Aubrey's relationship wasn't 
as friendly as previously perceived. So apparently Sage and Aubrey were very jealous of each other and always competing, but it was more so Aubrey that was jealous and competing with Sage. Right. I mean, that to me is a lot of fiery female friendships, to be fair. And I don't want to throw shade on anyone, but if one person's missing and you're related to that person, you're always going to say that they're more innocent. I'm not saying that that is the case, but I'm I'm not sure whether it was one-sided or whether it's just perceived to be one-sided because... But they say it was one-sided, so we're going with one-sided. Um, Aubrey claims accusations of her wearing Sage's wigs were a misunderstanding. But she didn't explain how, just that they were a misunderstanding. Um, but gaps were forming in her accounts. She claims that she'd only met Eric McFadden once briefly. Her claims that she'd only met Eric McFadden once briefly were t- torn apart when eyewitnesses placed Aubrey with Sage and Eric at a local club the Saturday before Sage disappeared. And a lot of people are just basically saying, fair enough for getting, you've met this guy, but you literally met him the week before, not even a week before, and you were in a club. Like, you weren't just passing in the street, you were out. Yeah, he was actually with him. Yeah. In a sense. So, Aubrey's inconsistencies are a huge red flag to detectives. She looks suspicious. Mm -hmm. But she maintains her innocence and claims to have no knowledge of what happened to Sage and there's no evidence linking her to the disappearance. Oh. In March 2017, so we are, what, four and a half years after Sage's disappearance, Police announced that Eric McFadden is once again a person of interest in Sage's disappearance. Police believe he could be more of an eyewitness to what happened than actually guilty of a crime. Even though almost five years had passed, McFadden still hadn't presented himself to the police. And that is all that we've got on the disappearance of Sage. That That's just where he... That's, They've announced that he's a person of interest. And that was, what, 2017, you said? Yeah. And nothing's come up in the last, what, four years? But that um, that documentary was literally, like, released last year, the end of last year. Basically, there's still, there's, the police departments are asking for help finding Eric and it's just no one's seen him no one's seen Sage and yeah it's just completely it just drops off the face of the earth yeah so I don't know whether she had met him and then moved on to the Wild Wings cafe and was meeting someone else yeah whether she was meeting him there whether they did actually run into other people who were dodgy and he did just fuck off and leave and he just hasn't come back because he's ashamed because some people who are brought up in a very straight environment are ashamed of not being straight. That's why, because he was publicly outed as being gay when he had a girlfriend. So, um, That's mental that nothing's been reported since, like, 2017. 
mad, but I just like Miss Cookie broke my little heart. Oh, she looks like um, Jermaine Stewart, eighties singer, uh, who sung uh, "We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off." Um, I also, I've come up with another theory. Right. Whilst Ween, that no one has actually seen Eric McFadden since the security footage on the 22nd in the CVS store. Mm. This is far fetched, and this shows I listen to too many true crime podcasts and watch too many true crime things and read too many true crime things. But what if they're both missing, and whoever's done that to them is the one that's contacting police and emailing? It could be. He's never showed up in person. No. But also, why has something bad had to have happened? Like, what... Exactly. He wanted to be with her, but couldn't because, of, as you said before, his family wouldn't have accepted it, possibly. We don't know what his family's like, but if by the chance they wouldn't have accepted it, them two decide they want to be together, and the only way to do that is to disappear. Enough. America's a big place. You could disappear very easily. Well, somewhere in the same state was 300 miles away, so... Well, exactly. It's massive. The state of California is the size of three Englands. (laughs) I mean, not even just England, three UKs, so including the whole of Scotland as well, is three of them just for one state. You can just easily disappear. It could just be, hopefully, something nice like that. They wanted to be together and... They had to just run away. Because you meet, like, why? Why would you meet at a station? Why would you meet at a train station? Very true. Unless you is, especially when there's a restaurant right next door with a bar. Exactly. Like if you if you're meeting on a date, you'd go there. Yeah, it could hopefully just be something nice like that. Like they just want to be together, and that's the only way. But yeah, no, it's just it's just how abruptly it just all stopped and nothing's yeah. been heard of and I don't I, I just feel like if they were that interested in finding him as in like Eric they'd have found him like they'd have traced his phone calls they'd have got his IP address from the email surely mm, but um, I don't know if you can hide IP addresses I don't know any of that kind of stuff but not me neither. Either way, that's a head scratcher. Let's go down a few states and get into Florida Man. Florida, Florida, Florida. My Florida Man headline is Florida Man arrested after hitting dad with pizza because he was mad he helped birth him. I've just, I was trying to get my head around it and there's just no, there's no justifying it. But then again, it's a Florida story and not many of them are justifiable. Florida man tries to evade arrest by cartwheeling away from cops. I love that. It's like a Monty Python kind of sketch. (laughs) Oh my God. Video footage shows Gianfranco Fernandez, 40, wriggling out of cops' grasp and then launching into cartwheel outside of his shop in Orlando. The nimble escape artist was later charged with battery on an officer. I'm seeing if I can get the video. Thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And um, hopefully we'll try and keep updated on that story. Because something might come up. 
No, it might do. I'm going to put it as one of those. You know, you can do the alerts, Google alerts. Yes. No. I'm going to do that. Okay. <laughs> 21st century, man. Um, well, I mean, I've heard people on other podcasts say it, so I presume you can do it. And I just wanted to sound like I knew what I was doing. Oh, okay. In actual yeah. fact, that's going to be the next WhatsApp I send. Thank you all. Uh, we'll see you all same time next week. Uh, follow us on all the shit. The Instagram, it that happens everywhere. The TikTok, it that happens everywhere. And the Twitter, it happens every one. The number one. Yes. We got it. We got it down to a T. Um, oh, I love that. <laughs> wicked. Right. Have a good week, everyone. Hope you had a good uh, St. Paddy's Day yesterday because we're recording this on Thursday. So hope you had a good St. Patrick's Day. And we'll see you all. Bye. Bye bye. Na 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 Cause we don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time, oh no.